a reprieve from death, that's what it was. A friend of years past particularly and continuing to be connected with this family and some ways a friend of mine, Burns Willis, now a retired United Methodist minister living down in Thomasville. He and Rose lived down there. I had a chance to get to know in particular when Sue and I were living in Osceola. I was the pastor at Osceola United Methodist Church and Burns Willis, this Methodist pastor friend's mother, lived there in town. She was not a member of the Osceola Methodist Church. She was a member of the Osceola Baptist Church, and don't you forget it. (laughs) When I talked with the family about Burns having become a Methodist preacher, they would say to me, we don't know how that happened. She was quite elderly and became sick. She was in the nursing home in Osceola when the family got a call from the doctor and said, you need to gather in because her time is very, very limited. They called me so that I could make a contact with her as well. I went to the room and family gathered all around, whispering as they always do at such a solemn occasion. I whispered back and said, how long? And they said, the doctor says, maybe tonight. They stood vigil. They sat vigil. They kept watch over her. Through that night, I came back the next morning to check on them. They shook their heads and said, no change. She lay there completely still. Still, the doctor said, any moment. Through that day and the next night, I came back the next morning. They shook their heads and said, don't know how she's doing it, but she's holding on. The doctor said, any time now. Through the night, and I came back the next morning, and they met me in the hall. They said, preacher, you won't believe this. Mama sat up this morning, and she said, I've been trying to die for three days now, and I just can't do it. I think I'll live. (laughs) What a celebration in that place. What a celebration. And live she did for two more weeks. But it was, it was a completely different two weeks than anyone could ever have expected. Just the beauty of joy restored. 
in the faithful life of one whom God loved and whom loved God. The story of Lazarus, you know, it was this reprieve as well. Now, I'm not suggesting that by any means that Lazarus didn't die. These, these are not the same story. Lazarus was not Ms. Willis from Osceola. Her story was different. But I am here to suggest to you that Lazarus had a reprieve as well. You don't believe that Lazarus didn't die finally, do you? Have you thought about this? Finally, he did die. In fact, if he did not die, he would be with us here today. Might be looking pretty old now. (laughs) But he died. And so that period of time between his having been raised from the dead and his dying that second time, it was this reprieve, this opportunity to taste of joy. The narrative as John gives it to us through Scripture tells us that Jesus was in danger in Jerusalem and so he made the journey to the other side of the Jordan River where John the Baptist had been baptizing. Now let me remind you that John the Baptist was no longer baptizing, was he? Because he was dead. Say it. Go ahead and say it with me. He was dead. He was dead. How many euphemisms do we have to use for that word? He was dead. And Jesus had gone there in order to find a place of safety and communion with his dear cousin who was long past now and to be with his disciples and to be with his Lord. Word came to Jesus in that location, sent by messengers from the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that Lazarus was ill, critically ill. What would you do if you heard that a dear friend of yours was sick unto death? You would beat a path to their door as soon as possible, wouldn't you? Not Jesus in this situation. It says in the scripture that he stayed there for two days before there was any visible response to the message that he'd received. And at which point he suggested that maybe it was time to go back to Judea. The disciples that heard him make the suggestion sought to convince him that that was not a good idea at all, that he had left in order to preserve his life, at least for a period of time. If they went back, not only would he be in danger, but all of them would be in danger. 
Jesus, I can imagine, received this news and said, yes. And what is new? Thomas, whom we call doubting, that's a misnomer, if ever there was a misnomer. Thomas was the one that stepped up and said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Is that a lack of faith? I would say not, friends. And so back toward this dangerous area around Jerusalem, they went, Bethany being only two miles from the big city. They came to Bethany even before they got there. Martha approached him on the road. And her words were simple, Lord, if you had been here. It was almost accusatory. Lord, if you had been here. When he has this conversation with Mary, Mary uses the very same words, but you know it sounds very different coming out of her mouth, don't you? Because she's weeping as she says it. She's not accusing Jesus for his insufficiency. She is sharing her broken heart at the situation that they all are sharing together. Lord, if you had been here, but you weren't here. I'm not blaming you for not being here. You weren't here. And what does Jesus do? You know this. You learned it in Sunday school. It's the shortest verse in the scripture. What is it? Jesus wept. Now, for some reason, in the New Revised Standard Version that I have, it says Jesus began to weep. They had to stretch it to four words. Just say it. Just say it. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. There were mixed emotions on the part of people that observed Jesus weeping. So the Jews said it is here. See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Mixed opinions. There are always mixed opinions. I mean, we've removed a couple of pews back here. I didn't do it by myself. The trustees did it, if you've got to blame anybody. We've removed a couple of pews back here in order to make it easier for certain persons in particular to be able to move around this sanctuary. But there's always a mixed opinion on things, isn't there? <laughs> always a mix of opinions. Here... Looking at Jesus, some seeing him weep, they can only think loving thoughts toward Jesus. Oh, how he loved him. How he loved Lazarus. Others looking judgmentally on the situation. He moves to the tomb and asks that the stone be removed. And Martha, in her practicality, says, 
You know it's going to smell. He's been dead four days. Four days, Jesus. Jesus says, take the stone away. And then he speaks with a loud voice and calls, Lazarus, come out. It is the most amazing thing that Lazarus gets up and walks out of the tomb. But it's not the thing that stuns me the most. I tell you, what really stuns me is the verse just after the verse that Ryan read in conclusion just a little bit ago. Ryan read that Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now listen to the next verse. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Many? You mean to tell me that not everybody believed? Come on! This man walks out of a tomb having been there for four days dead. And not everybody believed. But you see, this is the way of our world. You and I, at times, will refuse any kind of reprieve when our world turns dark. Eugene O'Neill, the famous playwright of years past, in 1925 wrote a Broadway play that he entitled Lazarus Laughed, in which he returned to this story in sort of a a Greek drama sort of way and asked the question in a subtle way, what would Lazarus have been like after Jesus raised him from the dead but before he died again? And he came to the conclusion he would have chuckled at everything (laughs) all the way through the play. Lazarus is laughing, laughing. Anything he ran up against, it could not compare with what he had already encountered. Everything, he had it in a different perspective because Jesus had come to him in such a powerful way. I was out visiting north of town. In fact, Dot Donaldson sends her hellos to you all. She wishes that she could be here with us each Sunday. Her health doesn't permit that any longer. She said, have you visited Union Methodist? I said, I've been by there. She said, you ought to go. After I left her house, I went 
around the corner and visited this church of some 200 years past. And after going into the church, I know where the key is. Steve told me. (laughs) I went out into the cemetery behind the church, and I found a gravestone that had these dates on it. Martha Hodges, born November the 5th, 1784, died August the 9th, 1827. That is incredible to me. To stand there, I am overwhelmed at the history of that church. There are things that you and I must not miss. At the bottom of that marker were the words, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What hopeful soul chiseled those words into that stone, we'll never know. But they spoke such truth to us today. One of the oldest Christian relics from the third century is a picture of another gravestone. And you know what picture is on it? It is the picture of Jesus reaching out to touch Lazarus as he comes out of the tomb. How are we to allow for God's miracles to work if we do not believe that he has power over death? I know in my own life that there are situations that I have encountered when I literally felt like the world was falling apart. Have you ever been there? And yet... In my weak prayers that were offered, God, come close to me. I need you. He was faithful to do that very thing. The miracle of this is that God wishes to be at work within us so that whatever we encounter, that we are always the people of reprieve, a people of hope, even a people of joy because our orientation is toward life in a way that only Christ can define it.